I think what we're going to have to do, in addition to the uh, columns that I'm reading, is we're going to have to have a conversation that complements whatever we're talking about in the column. What do you mean? I mean, you and I have to have a longer conversation about all kinds of things. Like what? Like, who knows? <laughs> like Miller Moss, like the Flat Tops Wilderness, like, who knows? Hello, and welcome to Notes from the Bee Yard. You're listening to episode 38, Bear Stew. Before taking up beekeeping, Tom Theobald worked as a hunting guide at a place called Budges in the Flat Tops Wilderness in northwestern Colorado. Today's episode is about a local character named Lulu. It's about her cooking. We talk about Miller moths, the flat tops, and it has some dad jokes. My name is Laura Tyler. I'm your producer and host. This is episode 38, Bear Stew. It's the next to the last episode in season one of Notes from the Bee Yard written by Tom Theobald in 1991, and read by Tom in 2021. For most of her adult life, Lulu Sizemore of Meeker cooked for all manner of hungry critters, guides, hunters, haying crews, fishermen, wranglers, vacationers. For many years, Lulu and her husband ran a fishing camp at Marvine Lake, and she had ample opportunity to ply her culinary skills. Lulu's food was always hearty, wholesome, all-American fare for the outdoor appetites, about 8,000 calories per sitting. It was so wholesome, in fact, that the year she cooked for us in the flat tops, we looked forward to our infrequent trips to Glenwood Springs, 65 miles away. There, we would gorge ourselves on less wholesome things at some fast food joint, just to keep our resistance up for our eventual and inevitable return to civilization. Much of the cooking was done from supplies packed in on horseback, or at the very least, trucked in many miles over unpredictable roads. Without a grocery store around the corner, Lula was a resourceful cook. During the course of their stay, many of her guests were treated to one of her specialties. When the regular afternoon question was posed, What's for supper, Lulu? She might respond, Bear Sue. By supper time, the word was out among the kids from Sheboygan, the fishermen from Denver, the couples from Manhattan, most of whom had never seen a bear, much less eaten one. Among the guests that evening, there were visions of steaming dishes filled with claws and hair, and knowing glances shot between the regulars. The meal began without much conversation, 
as vacationers took their first tentative bites, looking for signs of Ursus Americanus. What they soon found was that the stew of Lulu's tasted suspiciously like yesterday's fried chicken, like the pork chops of three days ago, and soon the truth was out. The creation was a result of Lulu's early years on a dryland homestead and later years in hunting camps. When the cupboards were bare and there were hungry mouths to feed, what did you feed them? Why, bear stew, of course. Well, Lulu should have been a beekeeper this spring. The bees have been on bear stew for nearly a month, and it has been a rocky start to the season. The dandelions appeared on schedule about the 20th of April, and it was a good bloom but the weather wasn't very cooperative. The bees would get two or three days of good weather to work the flow and store a surplus, but then an equal number of cool, cloudy days would keep them inside and they consumed it all. This went on through the entire flow. By the time the dandelions headed out in mid-May, the bees had made little progress. In a normal year, we count on the dandelions for the bees to build on. They not only utilize the incoming nectar directly, increasing their population, but will store a surplus of from 15 to 40 pounds. This surplus will carry them through a relative dearth of nectar from mid-May to mid-June, and they can continue their increase as they tap the stored honey to supplement their needs. But then, just as the dandelions were waning, billions of miller moths appeared. I expect to confront disasters of one kind or another from time to time. Floods and droughts, bears and skunks, fire, hail or wind, but moths? The moths soon sucked the country dry of nectar at a time when there wasn't much to go around in the first place. For those colonies which were living from day to day, with no stores carried over from last year, it was a real crisis. While I didn't lose any colonies outright, there were some that had a tough time of it. The queens stopped laying, the brood was lost, and in some cases even adult bees were lost to starvation. The result is that many of the colonies have been set back substantially. The scale hive here at the house showed its first gain on the 10th of June, as the sweet clover began to come on and the moths moved on to the mountains. There will be a lot of catching up to do. It's questionable whether the bees can do that without using some of the summer honey flows for the buildup, honey that should have been stored as part of the crop. We're through the worst of it now. I think we'll simply have to hope for the best 
But thank you, Lulu. No more bear stew for me. What was Lulu like? What was her personality like? She looked like everybody's concept of a grandmother. Hmm. Little, little bit overweight, little bit rotund, pretty easygoing. Uh, Lulu set the record for mouse trapping the season that she lived there. <laughs> she had an, a little cabin of her own, and she was determined to catch every mouse that she could. And I think during the course of the season, she caught something like 189 mice. Mouse stew, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so something that I really did want to talk about was this phenomenon that you're explaining. It sounds like you had a year where the Miller moths were just exploding. What was that like? Well, what happened was the Millers are nighttime moths. So... Before I realized what the effect that they were having on the bees, they would come out at night and they would sap all the nectar. And when the bees got up in the morning, there was nothing left for them. It took a few days for me to catch on to what was going on. Well, how, how did you know that, though? I mean, are there night-blooming plants and daytime-blooming plants? How do you, how, did, how are you able to connect I the could dots? See that the, I could see that uh, the bees weren't gaining at all anything during the days, and I figured it out. I figured that whatever nectar there was residual in the plants was being harvested by the miller moths. And then were you actually seeing the Miller moths around at night flying around? What was it like to no, have so no, many? No, I, I, was, I was a little slow. I had to figure it out. We've never had that problem before or since that I'm aware of. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, when you talk about the moths, and then I've heard you talk about clover as well, because we think there are these cycles that are really apparent to most of us that are seasonal. So every year you've got spring, summer, and fall. And then also in these columns, you're talking about these longer cycles or different cycles, the clover, the miller moths. It's just kind of fascinating. People extol the migration of the uh, monarch butterflies. But if you look at what the moths do, the moths start out in the spring on the eastern plains and they migrate west. And there's a period where they come by us. And anybody who's familiar with them knows there's a time when their house is filled with miller moths. And that'll last for maybe a week or 10 days. And then the millers move on to the mountains high up into the mountains where they spend the summer and then in the fall they come back down and they return to the eastern plains. Well, I think that's a pretty sizable migration, but you don't hear much about it. For, for some reason, the honey house was a, a favored site for the Miller moths. 
And I learned from Whitney Cranshaw, the state extension entomologist, a little trick. You open the door to the honey house and you shake your keys. And the miller moths come flooding out. And you do that the first thing in the morning and that gets all the miller moths out of the honey house. They'll come back again that night and you've got to do that again in the morning. But try that sometime if you have a garage or something that's got a lot of Miller Moors. Shake your keys at the door in the morning, and out they'll come. I wonder why. <laughs> I have no idea. So there's a little bit of talking here when we're going back to budges. Just that Lulu's kind of teasing the, the people with Bear Stew. Do you think that People really thought they were going to get served bear stew. Oh, probably most of them didn't, but I, I think some of them fell for it. I probably would have if I was if I was a little kid visiting up there. I would have been horrified, probably. <laughs> yeah. So I love this description of her wholesome all American fare about eight thousand calories per sitting. Uh-huh. Tell us what was a meal at Lulu's table like? Boy, I don't remember specifically, and of course I'm over-exaggerating a little bit, but... Well, not much. <laughs> it had all the staples, you know, mashed potatoes and all of those sorts of things to fill up people who were spending the time outdoors. Yeah, and it sounds like Barbara would jump in as well and pitch in when she was there. Barbara was a wonderful cook in her own right. And uh, I'm, I, I'll never forget when we drove in from the east, in order to come in when we did, we had to shovel a, a snowdrift of about 100 yards long at Deep Lake in order to make it passable for vehicles. And so when we arrived, the first thing the women did was break out the food and the utensils. And within, it seemed like minutes, but it was longer than that. Before too much time had gone on, they had a hearty meal on the table. And we all ate cafeteria style. So we had large tables in the dining room. It was Barbara and my 15th anniversary, and I had bought a Jeroboam of champagne, hmm. not realizing what 40 miles over rough roads was <laughs> going to do to that Jeroboam of champagne. <laughs> and as soon as we popped the cork, it was all over the dining room. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you got a sip. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Notes from the Bee Yard. We'll be back in a few weeks with the final episode of Season 1. That'll be Episode 39, and it's called I Am the Boss. Between now and then, if you have any feedback, questions, comments about the possibility of a season two, 
hop on over to notesfromthebr.buzz and drop us a line. I would love to know what you think. <laughs>